KRCL, Salt Lake City. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from our sustaining members and Mark Miller Subaru. Welcome to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. Weeknights at 6 here on KRCL, I'm Laura Jones, plugging you into your community. And coming up, we're going to, later this hour, turn the time over to our roving correspondent, Tamrika Kavtisiashvili. She's going to talk with the Utah-Ukrainian Associations, Anya Barashok and Yulia Holko, about their work supporting refugees resettling in Utah from the war zone as well as your opportunity to celebrate Ukrainian independence tomorrow evening at Murray Park. But first, we're going to do Music Meets Activism with our friends at Fight Against Domestic Violence and the Utah Domestic Violence Coalition. On September 17th at Sugar Space, the two nonprofits will host Louder Together, a benefit concert supporting Utah survivors and featuring Talia Keys. I've got Brittany Luce from Fight Against DV and Kimmy Wolf from the Utah Domestic Violence Coalition bringing in a playlist of their own to help us talk about intimate partner violence in Zion. First, some rallies and resources to get us going. Shout out right now going on at the Mill Creek Common in Sugar House area, roller skating and creating an end to stigma in mental health with our friends from Mental Healthy Fit. It's a drop-in evening of roller skating, creativity, film, stories, resources. They got food trucks I hear and some roller skating at their brand new rink there at the Mill Creek Commons. Art Church there too, and they're showcasing some films. So say hello if you head on over. Tomorrow, Ukrainian Independence Day at Murray Park. You'll hear more about that. Saturday, the Vinyl Record Bowl Workshop with KRCL at Clever Octopus Creative Reuse Center still has a few openings. If you go to rallies and resources at krcl.org, click on community affairs and drill down to Saturday, August 27th on the rallies and resources list, there's a link to sign up. You can stretch a record or two, one for you, one for us. We'll be bringing a lot of those to the 909 day block party and record sale on September 9th. September 10th, Grateful Tomato Garden annual tomato sandwich party, something I look forward to every year with Wasatch Community Gardens. Also on the 10th, the Salt Lake AIDS Walk with the Utah AIDS Foundation. It's called Salt Lake AIDS Walk Plus to raise awareness for the health injustices faced by the LGBTQ plus community, reduce HIV-related stigma, and honor those we've lost to HIV. More details, and you can create a team, actually, to do this year's Salt Lake AIDS Walk Plus. Just go to rallies and resources at krcl.org under the Community Affairs tab, and you'll find a link so you can get yourself or your team registered. We're going to dive right into Music Meets Activism. And now joining me from FADV, Fight Against Domestic Violence, Britt Luce. Hi, how are you doing? Hey, doing so great. Thanks for having us tonight. Absolutely. And Kimmy Wolf from Utah Domestic Violence Coalition. How are you? I am just great. Thank you so much for having us. We appreciate it. I am so glad you're here for a round of Music Meets Activism against the backdrop of your fundraiser coming up on September 17th. We're going to get to all those details and how people can support the work that your organizations do. But I'm hoping for some origin stories first with my guests this evening. So Kimmy, let's start with you. What's your background, especially as it relates to this issue, and then a little bit about the mission of the Utah Domestic Violence Coalition? Sure. Um, well, every good origin story needs to come full circle. And I think um, in this position, when um, communications here in Utah, I have come full circle. My first um, job out of college was running a um, domestic violence shelter in um, Chicago. And um, I was a business major, but I was willing to work for the money. Um, but that was also the time when the OJ trial was happening. Oh, wow. And so again, dating myself, um, but Google it kids if you need to. Um, <laughs> but that was my first time hearing um, domestic violence discussed on a national scale. And I think that that experience always stuck with me because here I am in communications and, and trying to make um, domestic violence narratives happen on a regular basis. Doesn't need to be sensational, but it does need to happen often. And so I think that's kind of how I came full circle. And domestic violence in Chicago, domestic violence here in Utah. It knows no class, no geography. 
It does not. And you, when you think about domestic violence um, in Chicago, where I started, you know, you think like, oh, the staggering crime, and you know, it must have happened so often. Um, but statistically, and we can talk about this later, um, you know, statistically, Utah has higher rates than the national average. So yeah, let that sink in that. a little bit um, yeah. as we go through this this conversation. So, Britt, tell us a bit about fight against domestic violence. Cool. Well, I have been with FADB for going on two years now. Um, it started for me. I like many people did right before COVID. I hit corporate burnout. Um, I had been with Google, so I was doing big corporation. That's big corporation. <laughs> Very big. It was a wonderful experience, though. I'm so grateful that I had it. Before I went to Google, though, um, I was with Thanksgiving Point Nonprofit Institute doing events and marketing on their side. When I took my break, a friend of mine came to me and said, hey, our executive director, Brooke Muir, uh, she needs help. She was the only full-time employee. You've got time. Do you want to? And I was like, okay, sure. <laughs> um, I really, at the time, knew minimum, probably kind of surface level what the everyday person knows yeah. about domestic and intimate partner violence. Um, but the more that I have integrated myself and learned, uh, the more I've realized that a lot of people close to me um, that you know you don't really see or you don't want to see it um, have been victims themselves, and in my own ways, I've been victimized as well because there's this whole spectrum of domestic and intimate partner violence, and so it's really been eye-opening for me. And my hearts are just my heart is just yeah. a nonprofit work. Yeah, those those experiencing intimate partner violence, it's not something that we talk a lot about. We try and hide it, it seems, more than talk about it until we're ready to get out, male, female, what have you. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'd like to talk a bit about that and some resources available. But there's something unique about Fight Against Domestic Violence. You're a nonprofit fundraiser yes. for domestic violence service providers and survivors. So you're like a bundler. If you were yeah. a pack for politicians, <laughs> but you're doing it for survivors of intimate partner violence. That's right. And that's why we wanted to partner with UDBC on this, because similar to us, we do not provide services uh, to victim survivors. Rather, we one of the stats is financial barriers is one of the number one reasons victim survivors will not leave their situation or why they come back to their situation after attempting to leave. There's no one organization in the state and really not that we've been able to identify nationwide that just focuses on fundraising. And so that's really where we wanted to come in, as we say, fill the gaps or bridge the gaps and offer uh, low barrier access grant funds to our service providers to help our survivors get out and yeah. move on. Well, you brought in a playlist to match. So let's get to the first song here from Dashboard Confessional. Why this song mm. heartbeat here? Okay, well, first of all, I, everybody that knows me knows that I'm a huge Dashboard Confessional fan. Um, I'm going to their concert next week. I'm so excited. Um, Chris Caraba just has a really great way of writing songs that tell stories, whether it's a personal story or not. And I feel like people that are able to listen to his music find their own story and way to relate it to it. And Heartbeat Here is just about coming home and finding a safe place. And that's one of the things we focus on is helping survivors get into safe and stable housing. We're going to talk about lethal lethality assessment programs and protocols and all the data in Utah when it comes to intimate partner violence, but also offer folks resources during our conversation this hour. So stick around. But first, Music Meets Activism, Heartbeat Here, Dashboard Confessional on KRCL. So finding a safe place crucial to folks uh, fleeing intimate partner violence. That's what we're talking about tonight with our guests from Fight Against Domestic Violence and the Utah Domestic Violence Coalition. So, Kimmy from UDVC, let's explode some myths about why women stay. And then also that men are also, folks don't think about men as victims of domestic violence, but it happens too. So what are some of those myths that we should explode about intimate partner violence, Kimmy? Oh, sorry. I apologize. There you go. So I think one of the biggest myths is that um, you can leave. It's a choice. Mm -hmm. um, and for so many people, um, you know, it's 
it's so much bigger than that. We have people that are trying to keep their families together. Um, you know, because someone is abusive to you, you may still consider them to be a good parent and a good provider. Um, and so many issues um, surround financial abuse. 99% of interpersonal violence also includes financial abuse. And, you know, we're all adults. We pay our bills and we, we know what it costs to be here. And, um, you know, that is that's a reality. And I think it is so... It is just so dismissive to think that those types of considerations should not come into play when a survivor is trying to decide whether or not to leave a um, leave a domestic situation. And I, I heard this phrase, and I try to use this so often, every time a, a victim of domestic violence enters a shelter program, we are initiating homelessness initiating homelessness. Wow, let that one So I, I, exactly, let's just simmer in that for a little bit. Um, and that is so powerful. And so when a, when a victim considers leaving the home, whether it's going to be temporarily, whether they're gonna be couch surfing, if for all practical sur- reasons, they are considered homeless at that time. Wow. So think about that when you ask someone why they leave, why mm-hmm. they don't leave. Well, and also there's another myth that it's only women who suffer are, are the ones who end up being victimized. There are men who are victims of intimate partner violence yep. as well. Yep. Um, that Yeah, and that's one of the bigger myths. And we're always trying to look for men who can be allies and advocates in the space as well because um, we know that they're, because of a lot of external sort reasons, right? Yeah. Um, it, c- it comes down to pride a lot of the times mm-hmm. and men are victimized in 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 different ways i mean women can still get physical with men mm-hmm. but a lot of people only associate domestic abuse with physicality um or physical altercations again our barriers and that come yep. into play our biases and yep. blind spots around gender exactly um but there's Kimmy said, you know, financial abuse, financial barriers are one of the the biggest reasons uh, victims, survivors stay. Um, emotional abuse, coercion, manipulation, and there's children involved. Absolutely, m- most of the time. Yeah, um, and you know, I am a dog mom, and I think about pets. A lot of people won't, don't think about pets, and one of the reasons um, FADV was founded uh, was because our advisory director, um, she had a, a close friend who um, was in a difficult situation and she had actually left and um, her dogs were still in the home and her um, abuser knew that she didn't want to leave the dogs and so she went back to get the dogs. And it was when she went back to get the dogs that things escalated and um, really traumatic, horrible situation. She's she's okay. But it was because pets are family too. Yeah. So there's some actually really cool organizations that help survivors transition their dogs. Oh, what are they? Let's, let's shout um, those out. If we have to look them up and yeah, give them out in a minute, yeah. that's fine. Let's do that. Okay. Um, redrover.org is the national organization. I know we do have um, a local organization mm-hmm. here though that helps yeah. Kimmy. Yeah, and actually they are one of our newest member programs at UDVC um, and our upcoming um, Domestic Violence Solutions Conference. They are going to be one of our speakers. It's called Rough Haven, and they are entirely volunteer driven, but they are their sole existence is to provide support for family pets for victims of domestic violence. So that's how that's how close that tie is and, mm-hmm. and how we how much we understand the value. So not only do you have Louder Together with Talia Keys, the fundraiser coming up on September 17th, but on the 14th of September, it is your annual Domestic Violence Solutions Conference. Who is it for? Who should attend? Uh, any details about that you'd like to share or a website for folks can look it up? Sure. Um, well, you can access the event information through our UDVC website, which is udvc.com. Org, um, and there's some high-level content. So if you are working already in the field, um, this will definitely be for you. But then there's also um, core advocacy trainings information on there. And so if you are a novice and you're looking for an initial 40-hour training because you want to deepen your knowledge, or you are working in a shelter program either as an employee or a volunteer, you can get certified as well. And completely virtual this year. Completely I understand. virtual. So yes. Hopefully extending that to some folks who would not. Other 
otherwise be able to attend in person from far-flung corners of the state or the country, frankly. All right, let's get to another song on your Music Meets Activism playlist. And new to me, I missed this when it came out, <laughs> Mr. Wives. Yeah, um, they're such a great, like, fun, uplifting band. Uh, Super Bloom is a song that you can listen to when you just want to feel good about yourself or your situation. Whether you're a survivor of intimate yep. partner violence or you're working as a provider, you need yep. something to keep going, Kimmy. You need some good music? Absolutely. Sometimes that's just all that all that you have. <laughs> okay, so it's this heavy. is Super Bloom. Super Bloom. Mr. Wives on KRCL. The Utah Food Bank's Grocery Rescue Program addresses poverty, hunger, and food waste in Utah by distributing food that's nearing its expiration date but still healthy to eat, including fresh produce, dairy, and meats that would otherwise end up in landfills. To find a food pantry near you, visit utahfoodbank.org. Support for KRCL comes from Mark Miller Subaru, a community partner of YWCA Utah and the Stand Against Racism Challenge. Mark Miller Subaru loves diversity. Learn more at ywcautah.org and markmillersubaru.com. Welcome back to Radioactive on KRCL 90.9. I'm Laura Jones, and coming up at 7 o'clock, it's Democracy Now!, followed by Thursday Night Psych Out with DJ Mike. Gianni walks the Dirty Boulevard at 10.30, and at 1 a.m., I Don't Sound Like Nobody with Rich. Jolene checking in at 3 with Illustrated Blues, and then... Get your Friday started with the brand new day at 6. The last two weeks of any show on KRCL can be listened to on demand at krcl.org. We're doing a Music Meets Activism playlist with my guests this evening. We have from Utah Violence, Utah Domestic Violence Coalition, Kimmy Wolf, and Britt Luce from Fight Against Domestic Violence. So, Kimmy, you want to go back and talk about men and intimate partner violence again because uh Largely, the conversation ranges around women as survivors. Absolutely. Um, I am a, um, a transplant to Utah, and I'm just happy to be here. I am, I'm a Utahn. I'm going to be a Utahn, um, and it's a great, great state, great way of life, but we need to get real about our numbers. And, you know, statistically, you know, we think we there's so many wonderful things about being here in Utah, but one in four women, one in nine men nationally um, will be impacted by domestic violence at some point in their life. And so right here in Utah, um, our own state, one in three women, one in seven men. So not even as good as those horrible numbers for the national picture. Absolutely not. And, you know, I, I find it intolerable. Um, everyone here who wants to protect our way of life and, and what we have here in this state, you should care about this because this does impact the way people are living here in Utah. We need to look in the mirror a little more deeply, Brett. Yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> and there, you know, there's, I've been in Utah now for, gosh, I don't even know, want to think about how many years I grew up in <laughs> Washington state. Um, and, you know, they've got their own programs and everything in place. And FADV has modeled some of its grant programs after things that Washington and Oregon and California have done. Um, I am from that predominant religious culture that we have here. So I can see the inside of it. I'm no longer part of that religious culture. Um, and I can see the outside of it as mm -hmm. well. And I do think um, when you first introduced us, one of the first things I thought of was we like to say that um, domestic and intimate partner violence thrive in shame and secrecy. Yeah. And when you have... Anyway, I mean, it's all like speculation, whatever, because we don't talk about it enough yeah, here. Yeah. Um, when you have an overarching culture that puts on a lot of pressure and sets societal to conform societal, to certain roles, exactly, you don't talk about it. No, uh, -uh because that would, you know, emperor has no yep. clothes. Yeah. One of the one of the um, as I was looking at your your different messaging on your websites and your social media, one that kept coming up, Kimmy, was power and control. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people want to say, well, this is just about sex. It's not. It's about power and control, intimate partner violence, about controlling the other. Absolutely. And um, power and control um, ha doesn't have to have anything to do with physical violence. And so when we think about um, intimate partner violence, um, power and control, you know, it could be as simple as, you know, not having access to your bank account. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, you're having your needs met, but could you access those? Could you access the passports? Could you access the banking, you know, information on your own without asking for permission? You know, when you look up, when you look into those dynamics uh, in relationships, it really makes you question 
a lot of things and physical violence never has to come into play. One thing that folks can do on their own is take a lethality assessment. They're all over the web local police departments. Is there also a link on UDVC? There absolutely is. And there's also a great explanation of what a lethality assessment is. Um, and so, you know, when we're talking about lethality, um, you know, we, we kind of want to circle back to, you know, why, why people stay. Well, whether they realize it or not, when someone decides to truly leave that relationship, that is the most significant time that they are in danger, um, and the most highest risk time that they are in danger. So if, it, if it's going to be a situation where they are at most risk of losing their lives, it's when they decide to leave or when their partner believes that they are planning on leaving. And this LAP, Lethality Assessment Protocol, you can take it yourself and tally up the points and you can see objectively based on the answers you give what kind of danger you are in and there's also help on a 24-hour link line 1-800-897-LINK which is 5465 and we'll put it in the show notes and it's always in rallies and resources as well but 1-800-897-LINK 1-800-897-5465 and I'm guessing there's uh, language assistance on that number too yeah um, yes there's language assistance um, and that is the only statewide um, hotline so it doesn't matter if you're down in Cedar City it doesn't matter if you're up in Logan um, if you contact that that line um, we we do have the language capabilities of what we can help you find resources in your community but that's also not just for victims it's for those that mm-hmm. are concerned. They don't like what they see. They yeah. don't know how to initiate a conversation. They don't want to offend someone. They don't want to misspeak. But also, it is it is a safe place for people who feel that they are perpetrating violence. And so there's no shame in calling. We can get you help. But if you feel that your behavior is not who you truly are or want to be, we can help you. I did not know that about the line. So it's a multi-purpose, mm-hmm. 24-7 helpline when it comes to intimate partner violence. I'm looking at the clock and we're just about out of time. So I want to go back to what's happening on September 17th. Britt, Talia Keys and the Love, a headlining concert called Louder Together. We are, I'm, I'm such a fangirl <laughs> when it comes to Talia. Um, I randomly saw her at Woody's Tavern in Moab two summers ago. It's a little dive bar and my f- mouth and jaw were just like on the floor the entire time watching her. Louder Together has been a private benefit concert for the last three years. Uh, we outgrew our private concert and our executive director has this big picture in mind for it. So that's why we partnered with UDVC and we're going public. And I just thought Talia is just such a force. She's a positive um, advocate and ally for the marginalized communities. Um, And we do know that those in the LGBTQIA community um, are disproportionately impacted as are BIPOC individuals and our native um, brothers and sisters are also disproportionately impacted. So she just felt like such a good fit for the show and I feel like we nailed it when we got her Kimmy before we uh, started the show you were you were saying much of the same thing just about how connecting on this issue at a personal level and Talia can do that with her music and and how she reaches into so many corners of our community it can really help the conversation absolutely and you know I think just like how you might not understand a lot about domestic violence but you understand the the draw of your pets Um, you might not know a lot about domestic violence but you know how you've been moved by music and the storytelling Mm -hmm. I think this is also just another natural bridge to help you understand this cause what's the website for udvc udvc.org and fight against domestic violence it's fadv.org and that's also where you can get your tickets all right and folks check tonight's show notes for a link as well as rallies and resources we're going to go out with one more song this one from the headliner talia keys why this one I asked Talia, what song do you want us to play? Her new album, Lessons, just came out this summer. And she said, play Head Up um, from my album. And I have been listening to it all week long. It's another one of those that's just a really positive, uplifting, keep your head up despite the circumstances message. Well, Britt, Kimmy, thank you so much for coming in for a round of Music Meets Activism here on Radioactive. Hope your event is a big success so that uh, lots of money is raised for survivors of intimate partner violence here in Utah. Thank you so much. All right. It's Talia Keys. Head up on KRCL. 
Save the date. KRCL's 909 Day Block Party and Record Sale is coming up on September 9th, and we'd love to see you there. We recently moved our studios into the thriving and diverse Guadalupe neighborhood, and we're inviting you to come down and check out our new space. Plus, get to know some of our new neighbors and do some record digging as we welcome back the annual KRCL Record Sale. The 909 Day Block Party and Record Sale, Friday, September 9th, 4 to 8 p.m. at KRCL. Details at krcl.org. And of course, we're still accepting record, cassette, and CD donations down here at the station. Because after 909 Day, we're going to a couple street fests and the farmer's market, taking our record sale with us. So you'll have plenty of opportunity to dig on through, and we need more. So krcl.org for more details about donating records, cassettes, and CDs to Listener's Community Radio of Utah. I'm Laura Jones, and now we turn the rest of the hour over to our roving correspondent, Tamrika Kavtisiashvili, born in Soviet Georgia, raised in both Georgia and Russia. And she wanted to look into Ukrainian Independence Day, which was tomorrow. There's a big party, which was yesterday, excuse me, and tomorrow night, a big party at Murray Park with the Utah Ukrainian Association. Here's her conversation. Welcome, Anya and Yulia, to Radioactive. Uh, my name is Tamrika Tisiashvili, and I have a great pleasure of speaking with two of the members, and I believe maybe president and vice president, but I'll let them explain that themselves, of Utah Ukrainian Association. So before I have you introduce yourselves, um, I want to say congratulations, because I know today is Ukrainian Independence Day, very important holiday regardless of what's happening in Ukraine. Um, I know it's always uh, a, a big celebration and we'll talk more about, about the celebration and maybe the significance of it, especially in the current times. But before all of that, let me give you an opportunity to tell us who you are. So my name is Anya Barishok and I was born in Ukraine in the city called Dnipro, formal Dnipropetrovsk. The name then changed a few years ago, I believe in 2018, to get rid of kind of any communist kind of association. So they renamed lots of streets um, and names to be more Ukrainian. So I came to Utah in 2003. So I've been here almost 20 years. I studied architecture in Ukraine and graduated from School of Architecture and Currently, I'm working for um, Granite School District in architectural and engineering services. And I've been associated with the Ukrainian Association since 2015. We just started as a small group and we started getting together on a regular basis. And then we decided to register organization as a nonprofit. I become a president in 2000. 16, I believe. My name is Yulia Holko. I am a part of Utah Ukrainian Association as well with Anya. Um, we have been managing the organization for several years now. I come from Lviv in Ukraine. Um, it's in the western western part of Ukraine, close to Poland. I, I think if I if I mentioned my city, uh, you know, just a few months but a few months ago, nobody would be able to tell where it was on the map. But these days, uh, you know, as a as one bright side of the war with all the negatives of it um you know people learned about ukraine and so hopefully not more will be able to point it out on the map i grew up in ukraine born and raised came to the us in 2001 uh, as a student uh, on a, an exchange program um, and i went back and forth between ukraine and the us the first couple of years and then i uh, stuck around since about 2003 um, more permanently and um, Utah has been home for the last few years. I got involved with the Utah Ukrainian Association initially as a volunteer the first couple of years, um, and then um, joined the board after. Initially, uh, when the conflict started in the eastern part of Ukraine, when Russia invaded the eastern part of Ukraine and took over Crimea, um, we started uh, by helping the families of the fallen soldiers. That was kind of the initial initiative. And then 
Um, we were also uh, supporting orphanages in Ukraine and sending shipments to orphanages regularly. As the full-scale inv invasion started early this year, um, the community started reaching out to us um, and kind of needed, uh, you know, a point to rally around. And because we already had a nonprofit registered and have been active for some time, that was kind of the logical place to go to. And so. Um, we started uh, providing resources for people reaching out with questions and, you know, for refugees. And, but our main uh, focus has been fundraising events and sending as much help as we've been able to to Ukraine to try to uh, help with the war effort and with, the, with defending, you know, our home country from the Russian invasion. I want to know a little bit more about your stories, if that's okay with you. Yulia, do you still have family in Ukraine? Um, I do have family in Ukraine, uh, so thankfully my immediate family is here in, in the U.S., but I have an aunt and my, uh, my first cousins are there and their children, and I have a lot of second cousins, cousins and um, aunts and uncles, and um, a lot of friends, you know, from my childhood, um, friends from college. Um, I have been in contact with them. I have, uh, I have some cousins who are fighting in the war. Um, I have some um, cousins who are um, kind of ready to go or in training. Um, I have um, some classmates who are uh, fighting in the war. Um, and um, unfortunately, one classmate that passed away in the war and one classmate that was taken prisoner of war. So it, it has been a rough few months, definitely. Anya, I have the same question for you. What kind of uh, family, friends do you have uh, still back home? And uh, how often are you able to speak with them? I do have still family in uh, different cities in Ukraine. Uh, some of them are actually heavily attacked, like Nikolaev and Mariupol. Um, so, and I still have lots of friends in Dnipro. So I keep contact with pretty much all of them. I still reach out to them and ask if they need anything and how are they doing. Um, lots of my friends, um, actually went to Poland or other cities in Europe because they had little little kids and they wanted to be safe. Um, and I also brought some members of my family here. Um, and they have one more is coming in September. We um, try to support each other because it's not just hard for them, but it's also really hard for for us who live here far away and we're trying to do as much as we can, but it's hard to watch someone suffering who you love. And, and Anya has actually opened her home to several family members who came from Ukraine. And I know you briefly mentioned that Anya, but I think you're being modest because she's been, <laughs> she's been going through a home remodel and in the middle of all that, you know, um, her family came from Ukraine through Europe and went through quite a lot to get here and finally made it. And she's kind of dealing with the home remodel, but also hosting, um, you know, and welcoming her family and, and making sure that they're all saddled here in the community and getting all the help they need. And I know it's been a lot and um, it's, um, yeah, I'm glad they're here and safe, but Anya, you know, <laughs> kudos to you for, for doing all that. Absolutely. And I know initially when people come to the United States, but to any country, new country, it's not always an easy transition, right? There's lots of differences and lots of new things to learn and figure out. So I'm sure that's also not easy as Anya, you're probably in charge and have to help everyone. So absolutely. Before we get to some of the ways other people in Salt Lake or in Utah can and be of assistance. Let's talk a little bit about today. So today is Ukrainian Independence Day. And maybe you can just tell our listeners a little more about this day and its significance. I mean, in the most literal sense, it's independence from Russia, really. <laughs> just to say it's straightforward like that. Um, it was independence from the Soviet Union. Um, you know, Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union as one of the republics. Uh, it gained independence in 1991. And so um, today we're celebrating 31 years um, of Ukraine as an independent state. Ukraine was independent before for short, short amounts of time in the history. 
but largely it was, you know, most of the time a country under some sort of regime or occupation. Um, it was always its own nation and its own people, but it didn't have a country very, very much through its history, unfortunately. And so, um, you know, the last 31 years, and it happens to be, you know, the time when Anya and I, um, you know, grew up basically, and, you know, <laughs> the, the, all of our adult lives, basically, you know, we lived through Ukraine as an independent country for, for most of our lives. And, you know, we have very little memories from our childhood of the Soviet Union, but to our parents and, and grandparents, you know, this is kind of something that's, oh, it's, 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 it's a cycle, you know, that the country has been going through and it's, it's happening again. But to us, it's, it, it was so much more of a shock because, you know, we never expected for things to really go backwards so much in history and to go again to, to square one, you know, to where Ukraine now has to fight for its, its own independence as a country, its existence as a country. And in the last 30 years, it really shaped as its own nation. It's really been, um, you know, developing and growing toward, you know, to strengthening its own identity. Like Anya was describing, you know, the streets have been renamed and the monuments and everything and the culture has been has been growing and, 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 and getting um, more popular. And, and the, young, the young generation really identifies themselves as Ukrainians. They never identified themselves as, as Russians to begin with. So um, something like this is, is just very shocking. And um, today has so much more significance um, because of that. And we want to make sure that you know, Ukraine celebrates many more of these, of these holidays. Yulia and Anya, if you ever want to remember Soviet days, I'm happy to sit and talk with you about them because I'm a little bit older than both of you and I do remember them. <laughs> but that aside, I wonder if, because, I mean, irony can't be lost, right? Here, Ukraine is celebrating the Independence Day, but um, it's obviously was not considered independent by Russia, right? Um, thus the justification of this occupation and, and the attack. So I wonder if there will need to be almost like a different title, right? Eventually when Ukraine is free and is independent where that could actually be the case. I mean, what, what are your thoughts about that? Because it's it's kind of a strange day, right? Here, here's Ukraine celebrating independence while a major power is telling it, no, you're not independent, you know, you're you're ours or you should be ours. What is that saying? Like you have something you don't value as much until you lose it. So um, right. it's kind of, you know, like reminds us that freedom is not free. And um, sometimes you have to fight for it and you have to remember that this is, you know, actually a really valuable thing to have. You're right, Tamrika. I think it, in, the, in the future, we will have to kind of either rename it or have a second Independence Day because there can't be any other outcome. Ukraine has to win this war and it, it will happen. Um, it's just a matter of time and we hope it's sooner than later. But, you know, as a result, we will, we will definitely have some sort of a liberation day or, or you know, this uh, National Identity Day or whatever it is. But it, it will become even more meaning, meaningful probably going forward for Ukrainians. Let's talk a little bit about the future, if you don't mind. I'm sure this is not an easy topic to talk about the future. A, nobody knows, but also, you know, hope is kind of what keeps us uh, moving generally, right? Like hope is so important in, in hard situations, but everything eventually somehow ends, right? Or, or transitions into something else which is actually a, maybe a very optimistic thought, right? That it eventually has to change from all the horrors that are happening now. But what, what are your thoughts? What will happen? I mean, again, um, it's not to predict anything, but kind of from your observations of speaking with your family back home and just being really involved in the current events. I think everybody's very um, positively oriented, I guess, considering the situation. Nobody allows a thought, I guess, even that this could have any other outcome than a positive outcome for Ukraine. Um, and that's the thought and the hope and the, and the drive behind, I think, a lot of people, um, a lot of people's activities these days where, you know, 
we have to think positively and we have to um, work toward the, the completion of the war and the rebuilding of Ukraine. Um, and it's something that I feel like Russia doesn't have in this war. You know, they don't have the same hope or optimism. They don't have the same values behind their fight. They don't have what drives Ukraine, you know, and that's why it makes the only, the only sense, uh, the only outcome that makes sense is, is for Ukraine to win this. That's kind of the only thing Russia can do at this point is, you know, just drain it for as long as they can, just, just make the country as weak as possible. They see already that they can't, they can't just take over. Nobody, nobody wants them there. Nobody is welcoming them. And so it's, it's just the, the idea behind that from their side is to cause as much pain and as much destruction as possible, which is terrible, but that's the reality of things. And then from Ukraine's side, um, I think the fast completion of the war is very important at this point because um, the more it drags out, the harder it will be to rebuild. European support kind of dwindled, dwindled down a little bit lately and media coverage has definitely been reduced and that's kind of the standard media cycle in this country and most places where, you know, unfortunately there's not as much coverage when something goes on for such a long time and especially something this uh, heartbreaking that it's hard to see, you know, in, in your news um, every day. But it is something that, you know, I hope people continue thinking about it, understanding because it's not just Ukraine's problem, you know, it really affects so much on a global level. It affects, you know, the world food situation, the, um, the world energy um, sector, it affects uh, you know, it just affects people's safeties around the world. Ukraine knows Russia as a very close neighbor, unfortunately, and knows Russia in, in many ways that the rest of the world doesn't. And through Ukrainian history, through, through the famine, through the mass deportations, through all the things that Russia has committed in Ukraine, you know, Ukraine knows that uh, that that is a very dangerous um, country and, and they have very dangerous dictators anytime those come around and Putin is one. This regime um, doesn't see Ukraine as a stopping point. They don't. They don't see that as the final goal and the final destination. And it's not. It's not a hopeful thought. It's not a. It's not. It's not a good thought. But it's something that people need to continue keeping in the backs of their minds that the safety of the entire world is at stake here, and not just Ukraine. Anya, do you think if and when I should say Russian regime changes? So let's say Russian regime finally changes, right? And Putin is gone. At that point, do you think Ukrainians would be able to forgive Russian people? Uh, uh, that's a difficult question. I, I think maybe some people will forgive, but not forget, or the trust will be gone for a long time. It's kind of like stabbing your brother or neighbor in the back, you know, basically. I was in Ukraine in December um, and, you know, it's already the news started coming that Russian army stays on the border and gathering like around the borders. I was getting a lot of messages from here. People asked me if I was safe and if, you know, everything is okay. And I asked my friends around and they said, how do you guys feel about it? Like, are you scared or, and no one said, you know, we are worried or we are scared. Nobody believed that this will happen. Nobody believed that our neighbors will actually do that, like the full invasion. And, um, you know, I think that's what, took us off guard a little bit. Like when war started, people were lost. Everybody just, you know, felt unreal. Like how, how could this happen? And, um, you know, now we're kind of coming back to our senses and under, more understanding of the situation. But I, you know, I'm pretty sure that it will be hard to trust Russia again. And I don't wanna say all Russians are bad because I know some people who actually live in Russia and they reached out and said, you know, we are so upset with our 
neighbors, friends. Um, we do know what's happening. We are able to listen to the news from um, VPN, right? Is that, um, we are trying to be on top of the situation and we are really, really sorry and upset and, you know, but unfortunately it's not everybody. And I think the more people will become aware of the situation in Russia, maybe things will change for, for them as well. Right. It's, it's, it's very complex, right? Because, um, people either are leaving Russia or the ones that stay there are too afraid, which, um, I mean, unless the opposition is so large that everybody can participate, uh, I mean, it's understandable that people are afraid for their lives and losing jobs, but at the same time, if they don't oppose it, who will, right? I just, I, I worry about this a lot, you know, because at the end of the day, the relationships between humans need to be rebuilt, right? Um, and unfortunately, that what gets ruined the most, as you both know, there are so many intermarriages between Russian and Ukrainians and friendships and partnerships. As we finish up, tell us how we, people of Utah, can be um, of assistance by being part of maybe your association or contributing or participating in some events. I know um, many, many American people uh, are very saddened by the current situation. And um, like Yulia said, unfortunately, the way media cycle works, things go kind of out of style and that's really sad to say, but that's the reality. So it's really important to keep this keep people focused that the war is not over, like nothing has changed, right? So tell us a little bit more about some of the events coming up and ways people can uh, be part of it. We are having Ukrainian Independence Day celebration on Friday. It's gonna be in Murray Park, uh, pavilion number two, and starts around 5.30. Um, we'll have a little musical program and usually it's kind of like a potluck style. So everybody can bring a dish and share. Slowly we're a little bit shifting our uh, focus because there's a lot of refugees been coming to Utah and they need a lot of help. So um, to answer your question, um, what's needed the most, um, we are kind of working right now on maybe like creating some groups of people who can sign up and for example, help with rights to the appointments. Lots of people come, they live far away they don't have transportation, so they need some help with that. Um, maybe like signing kids for school. If there's a group who can kind of help with some things like that to introduce, you know, how things work. Um, group with housing, lots of need for housing for people. Um, they don't have places to live and need some assistance at least at the beginning. What is the best way uh, they can contact you or contact the association. We do have a website, utahukrainians.org. And also we have a Facebook page, Utah Ukrainians Association. So the celebration will be at the Murray Park on Friday, this coming up Friday, which is August 26, I believe. So the program probably will start around six. So between 5.30 and six, it's kind of gathering time. I don't think we need much help with this event, but for people just to come and, you know, join and introduce themselves if they would like to help and they can find us, me or Yulia uh, at the event and kind of see the community. And I'm sure there will be a lot of Ukrainian um, families who just came to Utah and you know it will be great to have some collaboration with local community. Utah is lucky to have you two and to have new Ukrainian families so absolutely. Before I let you both go I just want to give you an opportunity to say anything that maybe I didn't ask if you want to add anything please feel free. 
I just wanted to add real quick, we're also having a booth at the Renaissance Fair this year. So uh, on Saturday, uh, there's going to be a Ukrainian association booth uh, at the Renaissance Fair in Lehigh, and that's uh, uh, on Saturday. Um, so that's the Saturday on the 27th. And basically look for the flower booth. <laughs> that's, that's us. So we'll have the flowers. And just to reiterate, uh, you know, our event uh, on, on Friday, we really hope um, a lot of people, I mean, it, it is a Ukrainian Independence Day, but it's not it's not limited to Ukrainians in the community. We want to emphasize that we really want the community to come out and meet their local Ukrainian families and meet the refugees and for Ukrainians to meet the local community and um, for volunteers to come out so we can thank them and kind of uh, share some Ukrainian food with them. And, uh, you know, we'll have some great live music there. And we really hope people will come out. And this is more of a social event. A lot of our events have been fundraisers. So people were come out and donating and buying things and trying to support the uh, Ukrainian defense uh, efforts and humanitarian aid. And we're really grateful for that. But this one uh, is more of an opportunity for people to meet each other and socialize and for us to collaborate and see, you know, what further events we want to have, uh, how we can help refugees, you know, just or or just talk about Ukraine and and, uh, you know, feel like a community. I just want to add very quick that uh, we are so grateful to all the local people who reached out to us and who's been just tremendous help over this last, um, you know, few months and who helped us to create events and fundraisers and, you know, helped with other things that our organization needed at that time because it's been very, very difficult time for us and um, all the help was really appreciated and we are grateful that we live in such a great community and Utah's and Utah's been amazing support. Thank you Anya and Yulia. Um, I hope you both um, feel some peace as much as possible in this upcoming future and of course I wish for a very quick and to the conflict, to the war in Ukraine. Um, thank you for your time. Thank you so much. Thank you for having yeah. us, Enrico. I really appreciate that. Yes, thank you. And that's our show. My thanks to Tamrika Kaptisiashvili for her conversation with Anya and Yulia with the Utah Ukrainian Association for details about their Independence Day celebration. Yes, Independence Day was yesterday. They recorded that conversation yesterday. And tomorrow, 5.30, Murray Park Pavilion 2 is the Utah Ukrainian Association's Happy Independence Day. Stop on by, meet some new Utahns, see how you can help, maybe just share some potluck. Check the show notes for more links to our guests this evening and how you can keep plugging into your community. Rallies and resources at krcl.org as well as the Radioactive Archives. My thanks to you for plugging in weeknights at 6 here on Radioactive. Tomorrow, punk rock farmer style on the show. We're also going to talk about the Greek Fest. Hope you'll join us. Have a great night. Thanks for listening. KRCL, Salt Lake City.